do not love the world or the things in the world. The world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. Well, good morning and welcome again. Um, so for those of you who are new, my name is Pastor Brian. I am the associate pastor here at this uh, Chesapeake campus, and we're so grateful that you're here with us as we continue in our series here on 1 John. So if you have your Bibles, we are going to be in 1 John chapter 2 today, so you can go ahead and start flipping there. And we're going to continue in our series that we started this summer called So That You May Know. And in this series, John is going to, uh, we've been learning that John has given a, a couple of um, assurances here, and today we're going to see that he gives us a warning here as well. And so as you get to your Bibles, chapter 2, we're going to be in verse 18 through 29, and we're going to see that there's a group or an individual, a group of individuals, I guess we could say, that he gives name to. And so we want to take a look at that. And as you flip there, remember there were two purposes in his writings. As pastor started out this series, he told us that one, it was to assure the Christians that they had eternal life. If you look at the top of your bulletin there, before you get to your fill-in-the-blanks, you'll see the memory verse that he's challenged us with, right? First John chapter 5, verses 11 through 13. And 13 tells us, that wants us to know that we have this eternal life. And so John is writing here to assure us that we have this eternal life through the blood of Jesus Christ. Secondly, he is writing to counter those that denied Jesus, that denied his coming in the flesh. And as you'll see here, there are a group of people that were in the church, they're among them, and John's saying, hey, we need to be careful of these people because they're bringing in a false teaching, a false religion, if you will. And you remember in the first part of the series, Pastor talked about how there was this form of Gnosticism going around where it said that really is a philosophy of religion that said that matter is evil, but spirit is good. And so what do they do is you have this tension here, and how do we solve this tension? Well, you solve it through Gnosis, through this knowledge, if you will. And so what they would say is that we, through this divine, enlightened knowledge, we could reach some sort of weird enlightenment and our spirituality could become something greater than just a simple evil matter that we are. And then there was also a form of religion going around or a philosophy of religion, uh, docetism, which simply means to seem. And so it was like, okay, Jesus wasn't really a man. He was really a ghost and he just seemed like a man. So he floated around and just did all the things that a human man would do. And so that was, one, there was another type of religion that was being proponed or, or uh, pushed in John's day that he was fighting against. The other part was this idea that Jesus had kind of a split personality. So Jesus was just a man, and then at, the, at his baptism, the Holy Spirit ascended down and came on Jesus. But then at his, resur- or at his crucifixion, the Spirit left him. So if that were the case, and we have a big problem here, that means that all of our sins are, are still on us, not on Jesus. He was not that propitiation that we talked about a few weeks ago. So what I want to do here is I want to dive into the text this morning and take a look at this group of people that John is warning us we must be against and we must do something about. So if you have your Bibles, I'm in 1 John chapter 2, verse 18 through 29, and I'm reading in the English Standard Version this morning. And John says, children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. 
But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lies and of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. Pay attention here. No one who denies the Son has the Father. But whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the, the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone should, that anyone should teach you. But as an, his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has been taught to you, abide in him. Verse 28, And now little children abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him and shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you so much for your word. We thank you for these men that you inspired to write through your Holy Spirit. We thank you for John and the gospel he's given us, or the, the message that he's given us here in this letter. And we thank you that even back in his day that, that he was giving us warning, but also assurance of our salvation. And so, Father, I just pray today that through your word and your spirit, just working in concert together, Lord, that you would inform us of what you want us to know today, inform us and assure us of this eternal life, and also help us to be on guard against all of those that come in the name of the Antichrist. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as I was getting ready for this message... I came across this article, and it drew me in because it said, Fascination with Evil. So I said, this sounds good. Let's start reading. And so in this article, it says, The best-selling left-behind fiction series attempts to describe the various evils that will, according to the authors, accompany the last days. It makes for fascinating reading. And as many novelists will admit, it's much easier to get people to read about vice than virtue about unfolding evil rather than pages and pages of good. And he goes on to say another example comes from the pages of church history. This historian named Richard Kyle, he wrote this book called The Last Days Are Here Again. And in an interview with uh, Christian History Magazine, he said, through much of history, people have been looking more for the Antichrist than for Christ himself. He says there's more interesting speculation about who the Antichrist is. He goes on to say in this article, even some of the leading candidates in church history have been the Roman Emperor Nero, Napoleon, and even Hitler. And in modern speculation, they've said that even the Reformed Martin Luther, President Ronald Reagan, and Pope John Paul II have been labeled as Antichrist. He says, it may be an interesting exercise, or even a pleasant diversion, to think about the Antichrist and the various evils that will attend the last days. But get this part. But to spend too much time there as unfortunately some Christians do, is not what God wants. So again, I was drawn in by this article. And so I'll raise my hand to say, I'm guilty of this myself. Sometimes I like to flip through things and, and really get in, entrenched in, well, what's the last hour going to be like? What's the end day is going to be like? And, and who is this Antichrist going to be? And it's really fascinating. It's really fun to kind of dig in and try to figure that out. A little bit scary in some ways too. But I... I kind of fell into the same trap as what this article is laying out. Sometimes we spend more time seeking after who is this Antichrist going to be than really getting to know 
the Jesus that this book is all about. And so what I want to do today, I was going to look at these verses and see how the church back in John's day was falling into some of these traps of these false teachers. As well, we want to see how that applies to us here in modern culture because what was written for John back then is also for us today and will be for the church even into the future. And so what I want to do is I want to talk about how we should be watchful and ready according to what John has laid out for us. So point number one, being watchful and ready, we have to understand that we live in the last hour. We currently live in this last hour, talked about in verse 18 here. He says, children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. So let's step back and say, well, what is this last hour period then? What does this all mean? We're in the last hour. Like an hour for us is 60 minutes. What's this last hour John's talking about? Because he lived in it, we're living in it, and as I said, Future Christians will live in this. So that last hour is a period, as we look into the book of Acts, we see the modern church starting to form. So that last hour started right there in Acts 1, where we see Jesus being taken up into heaven. He's died on the cross. He's laid in the tomb for three days. He came back to life through his own power. He resurrected himself. And then he spent a time of about 40 days with his disciples. And at that end period there, Jesus then ascends back into heaven. And here's what it says in Acts 1 as we read through that. Verses 6 to 11, it says, so when, uh, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times of the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, they were, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went up, behold, two men standing with them in white robes said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And so this last hour period culminated, it started right here with this singular event. As this last hour began, Jesus was going into heaven to go sit at the right hand of the Father. And that last hour began right there, and it will not end until his second coming, when the Father says, okay, now is the time, go back to earth and complete the mission that I have given you here. So we live in this in-between time of Jesus' first coming and his second coming. And what's important to note here, I want to point this out, because in Scripture it says, because of these many antichrists we know we're living is proof that we're living in the last hour. But it's important to know that Jesus ushered in this last hour, not these antichrists. It wasn't any man, it wasn't Satan, it was Jesus himself by the will of the Father that ushered in this last hour. So it's very important for us to understand that we are living in this time period as we await for Jesus to come back. As we said also, Satan, as we saw there in Acts 1, only the Father knows the time, and it's important to know that Satan doesn't even know when Christ is going to return. So that's why he's busy putting these antichrists out among us, because he doesn't know when the Father's going to say, okay, Jesus, time to go back. So he's doing everything he can to trip us up. And here's what it says in Matthew 24. He said, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. So Satan is doing all that he can to keep those away from Christ, to keep them from coming into this true relationship with the Father through Jesus. He even does some best works here in the church among us. If you look to Matthew 24, verses 23 and 24, it says, then if anyone says to you, look, look, here is Christ. Or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform many signs and wonders 
so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. The elect here, that's us. That's those of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and are now Christians. We are believers of Jesus. We are called the elect here. So Satan is doing all he can to make us ineffective for God's kingdom. He's doing everything he can to keep those of us who don't know Jesus from knowing Jesus, and if possible, he will use us to do that. So we have to be very careful and know and understand that we are living in these last hours because the stage is already set. Everything that needed to happen to be in this last hour period and and for us to be waiting on Jesus to come back has been fulfilled. Christ has conquered the grave. He's defeated sin, and he's won the victory over Satan, and now he sits in heaven just waiting for that time to return back. So we have to understand that we live in those last hours. But with that understanding that we are in the last hours, we also, point number two, we must be watchful for the attacks of the Antichrist. Verse 19 tells us, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they were not of us. These Antichrists are among Christians in John's day, and he's given warning to this church in Ephesus saying, look, there are people within your congregation that are false teachers. They are denying Christ. They are denying his deity and his incarnation of who he truly is. And in doing so, they're withholding you from the Father. And so we have to be on watch, on guard against these attacks, on guard against the false teachings back in those days. And it's the same warning that he's giving us here in modern culture. We have to be on guard against those attacks as well. There are many that, that, I mean, you can get online, you can see all kinds of false teachers out there claiming that they are speaking straight from the Word of God when they're distorting things just enough to lead people astray. In verse 22, it says, Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son, and no one who denies the Son has the Father. It's very important that we understand that right there. As we look at this word antichrist, we look at the meaning there. What it means, it means instead of Christ. And that's really the chief characteristic of these antichrists. They denied who Jesus really is. They denied that, that he came in the flesh and they denied his deity of being God, both fully God and fully man. And therefore, if we don't have that belief, if we don't have that understanding, what this tells us right here, John is saying we do not then have the Father. If Jesus did not do what he did for us, then we cannot have this right relationship with God. And that's a very big warning for us. And a very big warning and red flag when we hear people up here preaching and teaching. We have to be on guard that they are teaching the things that that come straight from Scripture. And so we're going to talk a little bit more about those things in just a moment of what the gospel is and what we really need to keep our eyes focused on. He says here, we cannot have a relationship with God the Father without acknowledging and knowing Jesus as the Son. And one commentator said it this way. He said, because Jesus is God's Son and the Messiah, to deny Christ is to reject God's way of revealing himself to the world. A person who accepts Christ as God's Son, however, accepts God the Father at the same time. The two are one and cannot be separated. It's a very important fact for us to understand here about the gospel. Jesus is God. John 14, Jesus even tells us, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. And so these antichrists are among John's followers of his day, are among Jesus' followers in John's day, but they're also among us in our day here in modern culture as well. So we have to be very careful as a church. And so the antichrists are busy spinning their lies and passing off truth 
uh, to pull people, passing off these lies as truth, to pull people away from God. So we must be careful about their attacks. And I want to spend some time real quick talking about the distinction that we saw here in the first verse. It talks about the Antichrist is coming and that there are many Antichrists. So for this sake, we'll call it the, the big A Antichrist and the little A Antichrist. And I want to talk to you about this Antichrist because sometimes we, we get tripped up and think that, well, this must mean the, the Antichrist being spoken about here in Revelation chapter 13. And, and it's a little bit different here. And when we think of that Antichrist, we think oftentimes, many people say, well, he must be like an opposite Jesus. So if Jesus is good, then the Antichrist must be bad. Or, or if Jesus is loving, then the Antichrist has to be hateful. Or if Jesus' personality is one that is very pleasant and beautiful, then the Antichrist personality and nature has to be one that is repulsive. So we think it will be very easy to identify this Antichrist in the end times, but here's the thing. Many people think that they think this opposite view of Jesus when instead that word means with the Antichrist is an instead Jesus. And so we have to be on guard against that because what's going to happen is many scholars believe that this Antichrist is going to be very charming and very successful. And if we look out amongst the landscape of our day, these seem to be the people that we're drawn to. We look out and we see somebody on social media that's real successful. We see somebody that's got a lot of money or they've got a big house or, or whatever. They've got a lot of power. You fill in the blank of that. These people become very appealing to us. And so we've got to be on guard against the attacks of this Antichrist and be on guard against those things. But at the same time, we have to be on guard against these little a Antichrists because they're coming in the same spirit as the Antichrist. In Revelation 13, we see that this Antichrist, the capital A Antichrist, is going to rise to power. And some think that he's going to even have some sort of one world government, maybe an economic dominance over the world. He's going to create war, and he's going to do all this stuff. He's going to conquer the saints, and he's going to get everyone who's not put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ to actually worship him. And it even says, it tells us in Revelation 17, that there's going to even be this time where this Antichrist resurrects himself. And here's the thing to know, the important thing about that. It's not this Antichrist that's going to bring himself back to life. Many scholars believe that's going to be Satan coming and indwelling this person and somehow bringing him back to life. So maybe it's going to be like a zombie antichrist. I don't know what that's going to look like. But it's going to be something different, and it's going to be a mimic and a copycat to try to pass off that, hey, look, I am the Messiah. I am this Jesus. Remember, Matthew tells us, Jesus tells us back in Matthew, be careful when people come and say, this is the Jesus, this is him. Because not even, not even the son knows when his time will come. So we've got to be on guard against these things. We've got to be watchful. And as John's telling us here, we have to be careful of the teaching that we see even given in our congregations, the teachings that we find on uh, the various resources out there. You can get on the Internet. You can find preaching and teaching. You can find sources everywhere you want to find them. But we have to be careful because these, these little a antichrists are coming in that same spirit, meaning they're coming in the same likeness and mindset as this capital A antichrist. They're trying to deceive us. They, they want to use deception to point people to the lies of Satan and pass them off as the truths of Jesus. So we have to be watchful against the attacks of these antichrists. Third thing, to be watchful and ready, then we need to be ready to defend the gospel. It says, no one who denies the Son has the Father, and whoever confesses the Son has the Father. So let what you heard from the beginning, verse 24, abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. 
And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. The word Christian, it's not really used in the Bible. There's an account in Acts 11 where we see this a word meaning Christ ones that has come up. And as Pastor talked about a few sermons ago, remember that word community? It's like they had a common unity. And the unity they had was that bond in Jesus Christ. They had many diversities, but they had one common bond that drew them and set them apart from everybody else. And that was their belief in this risen Jesus Christ. And so what we have to do is we have to understand what the gospel is so that we can defend against the attacks of this enemy. And so in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 4, it says this, For I have delivered to you as first importance what I also receive, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. This is kind of where we get our core facts of the gospel here at Coastal. And every time you come to church, I think pastor says this quite often, but I know every single time we have somebody up here preaching, our hope, our goal is that they will put out the core facts of the gospel to you. And it's not because we want to bore you to death with the same thing over and over and over. It's because we want you to be able to simply articulate what are the core facts of the gospel. So we're going to go through this today. And so the three core facts that we hold to here at Coastal, and it comes straight from Scripture, is the fact, number one, Jesus is God. That's the very first thing we have to understand. John tells us right here in the pages of his writings that to deny the, the Son is to deny the Father. So we have to understand that Jesus is God. Number two, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. So Jesus is God. He, he took on the form of man. He was fully man, fully God, came down to this earth. He lived a perfect life so that he could be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. As Pastor talked about a few weeks ago, the propitiation for our sins, right? He took our place. So Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He was that perfect sacrifice, died for us on the cross. And number three, he bodily rose from the dead. He resurrected himself by his own power. Nobody else did that for him. He did that through his own power and his own might, conquering sin, conquering death, conquering hell, conquering Satan, proving once and for all that he is the Lord of Lord and King of Kings. Those are the three key facts of the gospel here that we want you to know about. Jesus is God. He died on the cross for your sins. And three days later, he rose from the dead through his own power. He bodily resurrected. And so we say this to you over and over and over again because we want you to understand this. We want you to become familiar with what is the gospel because we want you to be able to defend against this as well. It's not simply on us as, as the church staff. It's on you as well. And John tells us here, those of us who have the anointed one dwelling in us, abiding in us, we have no need for another teacher. We don't need anybody to teach us. We have the Holy Spirit that teaches us and informs us. And he does that right here in the pages of Scripture. And so we have to understand what is the gospel? What is God's word telling us? Everything we need to know about God, everything we need to know about our depravity, and, and, and man's sinfulness is found right here in the pages of Scripture. But then he also tells us what his plan to do about it was. And it was Jesus Christ. And so we want you to know this. That's why we stand here each week and we, we stand on the word of God. We, we preach straight from the pages of Scripture. And we tell you, this is the gospel. This is the truth. But we also want you to check us up on that. So, so how do we do this? How do we, how do we tell the difference between a truth and a lie? And I think what we have to do is we have to get into the pages of Scripture and understand it for ourselves. And as I was thinking about this, I came upon a little illustration that I want to, to give you guys today. And my son's been laughing at me about it already because it's back here on his music stand. But how many of you would like to have a million dollars? Five, six, okay. Anybody like to have a million dollars? What if I told you that today 
you could walk out of here with a million-dollar bill in hand. Huh? Huh? Who wants a million-dollar bill? Anybody? Yeah, Mike, you want it? All right, all right. I've already promised somebody else, but I can get you another one. Don't worry. All right. But yeah, how many of you want this? I mean, so, so how many of us know that a million-dollar bill is not real? If you didn't know, a million-dollar bill is not real. This is a fake. This is, this is a counterfeit, right? I, I sh- hopefully, I won't. Andrew, I'm not going to get locked up for this, right? Okay, good. All right. I tried to do some research, make sure I wasn't going to. But this, this is not a real million-dollar bill, okay? I just want to let everybody know that. This is something I made on the copier. It does have a good-looking guy in the middle there, though. But th- this, is, this is a fake. This is a phony. And so you've probably heard before that people that spend a lot of time in dealing with counterfeit money and things like that, how do they determine the real thing? How do they understand the difference between a counterfeit and the real thing? It's because they spend more, t- excuse me, more time with the real thing than with the counterfeits. So what they'll do is they'll sit there and they'll take the real thing and they'll examine it. They'll they'll understand all the words on this thing. They'll look at the typeset. They'll understand all the little intricate little spider webs in the back here. They'll they'll understand all the symbolism behind it. They'll read every little detail on this. They'll study every little detail. They'll feel the paper. They'll get an understanding of how this paper feels. They know for different markings to hold up and look for. We even have pins now that can kind of do that too, right? But they spend more time with the real thing than they do looking for the counterfeit. And that's the same thing that we hope you would do here. This is what John is telling us we need to do. We need to spend more time right here with the real thing than we do looking for the counterfeit. We need to understand who Jesus really is, what he has done for us, and how we can have the forgiveness of sin that he has offered here in the pages of Scripture and and enter into a right relationship with our Heavenly Father. So we need to spend more time right here in the pages of Scripture than anywhere else. And so let, let's go ahead and start putting a little application to all this. So we have, to be, we have to understand we live in the last hours. We have to be watchful. We have to be ready. But how do we remain confident in Christ and effective for his kingdom? So letter A is this. We have to believe and abide in the gospel. That's the first thing. As I told you a minute ago, the gospel is that Jesus is God, down on the cross for our sins, and he bodily raised himself from the dead three days later, right? So that is the gospel. So we have to believe this and abide in this. Verse 23 again says, Whoever confesses the Son has a father. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in, in, in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. This is the promise that he made. It's eternal life. So what do we do with this gospel? All right, we understand what the gospel is now. We know what God has done for us through Jesus. But what do we do about it? And so here we tell you we have to do three things. We have to repent. That simply means we acknowledge that there is this creator God in heaven this heavenly father that loves us and and wants to forgive us. And so we have to confess our sins to him and say, look, I I know that I can't do this on my own. And so I need you, Lord. So we repent, we believe. So we believe the core facts of the gospel. We believe that Jesus is God and he has done these things for us. He died for our sins and then came back to life so that we can have the promise of eternal life. And then we receive it. We receive Jesus into our life. And as John tells us here, we can receive the anointing of the Holy One. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, at that exact moment, that's when the Holy Spirit enters into our life and abides with us. That word abiding, it means to remain or continue. It also means to dwell and endure. And so at the moment of salvation, God puts His Spirit within us, and He lives with us forever, and we abide with Him forever because of our faith in Jesus Christ as His Son. 
1 Corinthians 15, again, it says in verses 1 and 2, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand and which, by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. It tells us right here that we can have this relationship with God simply by putting our faith in Jesus and accepting this gospel message. So we have to repent, believe, and receive. That's what we want you to do. We want you to know what the gospel is, know what Jesus has done for you, and we want you to accept him into your life and allow him to abide with you forever. Second thing in way of application here, so how do we have this confidence about our eternal life and how can we remain effective for God's kingdom? We have to confront and counter false teaching. We can't be afraid to shy away when somebody stands up and says something that's wrong. We have to test it against the words of Scripture here, see where it lines up, and then not be afraid to say, hey, wait, you're a little bit out of line here, and we need to do something about that. We need to, we need to get you on track here, and if they're unwilling to get on track, then maybe we need to dismiss them from the congregation because they're spreading falsehood and lies, and we don't need that here. He says in verse 26, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has been taught to you, abide in him. Again, each and every one of you have the truth of God's word right here in your hands. You don't need, really, me or Pastor Sagree or anybody else to teach you these things because God has given his Holy Spirit to you and you can get into the words of Scripture for yourself. You can read this book. You can find understanding through the help of the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, that helper, that advocate helping you to understand what God wants you to know here. And so I want to talk to you for just a minute about Coastal's core values. We, we don't talk about these a whole lot. You've probably heard these if you went to our We Are Coastal class, but this is something as a staff that we hold to, and it's something really that we hope that you as a congregation would hold to as well. So our four core values are this, and I'm only going to really talk about two of them in detail here, but uh, it's an acronym that we've said WALA, W-A-L-A. Now French, that's not how you spell WALA, okay? Uh, But we've called it WALA here. Uh, So the first one is W, watchfulness. So watchfulness is knowing the truth of God's word so that you can guard the gospel of Jesus Christ in ourselves and for the culture, protecting ourselves from the world. And so we are really serious about being watchful here as a congregation. We are very serious when we've just ordained Pastor Hunter here the other day. Pastor Hunter went through a very rigorous process of ordination. He went through a couple years worth of just testing and and being with us. He went through a a whole class for ordination. He's also been in seminary. So there's a lot that we do here to really make sure that the men that we are ordaining align with Scripture, that they are these Second Timothy and these Titus uh, uh, men that we are going to put up here and ordain. And so we want to make sure that we're being watchful over this and putting those right people in place. Same thing with our small group leaders. I'm over our small groups. Our small group leaders don't just get to walk up to me and say, I want a small group, and I go, there you go, have a small group. I spend time with our leaders. I get to know them. Some people, it takes a little bit longer because I don't really know them all that well, but I take time getting to know each and every one of our small group leaders in hopes that they are the men and women that we need to, to stand on the truth of God's word and to then impart that to you in our small groups. Because we don't want you sitting in a class where somebody's denying Jesus and going, yeah, you really don't have to believe that stuff. That's not true. That's not at all what the Bible tells us. 
if they do do that, please come to me because that's on me now. So now you know. So I'm the one trying to be watchful over our small groups, but please make sure if anybody does hear something that goes astray, confront that person, but then also come to me and let's, let's figure this out together because sometimes it may just be a simple mistake. I know there's times I've been up here preaching and I've said something and I get off the stage and I go, oops, that, that came out all wrong and I shouldn't have said that. And I hope that it's the Holy Spirit then working in your lives to bypass all that and correct that for you. But so confront me. If I've said something up here on the stage, same thing with pastor. If he says something and it's a little bit off, you know, off kilter or, or not quite right, then confront us. Because as we go through these core values, watchfulness is one. The second is authenticity. The third is love. Kind of self-explanatory there. Uh, but the last one is accountability. And accountability is giving account to, any, to one another in response to owning the truth of God's word. And so as we stand up here and preach, as we go into our small groups and teach, as we put leaders in place, we are doing our absolute best to, to be watchful, to make sure that they are really giving you the truth of the gospel. But then we also want to hold them accountable and hold ourselves accountable that we are putting proper people, proper leaders in place that are going to handle God's word the way it's supposed to be handled and preach the truth. So moving on here, last point, so we can have this confidence about uh, this assurance about our salvation and also to, to be effective for the kingdom. The last thing is we need to be prepared by practicing righteousness. He says in verse 28 and 29, And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness, righteousness may be born of him. Righteousness is simply, it's, it's moral correct behavior. It's, it's in our way of thinking, our way of acting. It's conforming to the character, the mind, and the will of God. That's really what righteousness is here. Now, there's another righteousness that we receive when we accept Jesus into our life. That's the righteousness that we gain from Christ. But at the same time, this righteousness is then trying to be like Christ in all that we do. And so that's what John is talking about. He's saying the proof of your salvation here, the proof of your eternal life, if you know that you have repented, believed, and received Christ into your life, if you know that you believe the core facts of the gospel, you believe in who God is and what he's done for you, then the proof that you have him abiding in you and the proof of this eternal life is the fact that you are trying to do the right thing and be like Jesus each and every single day of your life. Now, does that mean as Christians we can't mess up and fall into sin? No. We, we, I do that every day. Like, right? There's sin in my life that I have to confess every day. But I am striving every day to do the right thing according to God's word, to live into what I read in the pages of Scripture. Every single day, I'm trying to practice this righteousness that John talks about. And I think, I think what we'll find, pardon me, I think what we'll find there, as we are continuing to practice this righteousness, that we'll get into this rhythm, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do the right things, I'm trying to see what, is, what does Scripture tell me, I'm going to do these things that God wants of me, I'm going to treat people the way I should, I'm going to love my neighbor, I'm going to do all of these things. But in those times that we mess up, I think there's this little conviction that comes on us, right? We have that Holy Spirit abiding in us, right? And he's the one that will kind of kick us in the pants a little bit and go, hey, that's not what I want you to do, right? And so I think it's that conviction kind of coupled with our trying our best to do the right thing along with the knowledge that we've placed our trust in Jesus Christ and accept him as Lord and Savior is the proof that John is giving us of this eternal life. So some days we're going to get it right. We're going to nail it. We're going to say, yes, I really feel like I've done everything God asked me to do. Today, I've loved my neighbor well. I've loved my wife well. I've done all these things. If you have a wife, I've done all these things that, that I'm supposed to be doing. 
knowing that I am allowing the Holy Spirit to work through me. But then there's sometimes we'll go, mm, yeah, I messed up today. I know I got that one wrong. I know I know I should have done these things, but I didn't. But here's the great news. That there, there's always room for forgiveness in our lives. I want to go ahead and invite the worship team up too. And so as I get ready to wrap this thing up this morning, I want to tell you that, that we're not always going to get it perfect. And know this too. If you're a person that has not accepted Jesus Christ in your life, you can strive for righteousness all you want. But doing the right thing is never going to bring salvation to your life. It's only when you put your trust in Jesus Christ as God, believing what he has done for us on the cross through his life, death, and burial, and resurrection, and asking him into your life. That's that moment of salvation, that moment where you receive Jesus' righteousness upon you. So when God looks at us, he's not seeing our sin. He's not seeing all of these bad things that we've done. He's seeing the blood of Jesus covering us, and we're living into his righteousness. And so if you've not accepted Jesus today, my, my plead with you would be make today the day that you accept him into your life. Make today the day that you say yes to him and accept his gift of salvation. And for the rest of us, I hope that we would really strive after righteous living. That every single day we would wake up and make a conscious decision to say, Lord, I've accepted you in my life. And today I want you to help me to live the way you want me to live. To treat people the way you want me to treat people. To, to share your word with other people. To confront even these antichrists that are bubbling up in my life. Know the truth of God's word. Live in his word. And know that you have eternal life. That's what John's been writing about here in the pages of 1 John. He wants us to know that we know the truth and that we know Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful for your love. We are so grateful that our righteousness is not about us. That even though we strive to be like Jesus every single day, that we're going to mess up. But if we put our hope and trust in you, then we can know that we know the truth of who you are. We know the truth of the gospel. And we know that you will never, ever leave us or forsake us. And so, Father, today I just pray that, that there's those that are in our congregation that have not taken that step and invited you into their life. That I pray today would be the day that they confess you as the Lord and Savior of their life, confess their sins to you, repent, believe, and receive you into their life, and accept this anointing of the Holy Spirit upon them. Accept your forgiveness and love today. And for the rest of us, Lord, just help us to know each and every day that we have you living inside of us, abiding with us. And so we can live confidently in this eternal life that John's been speaking about, knowing that you were there with us. You're never going to leave us and you're never going to forsake us because we have accepted you, Lord Jesus, and in doing so accepted your Father. And so, Lord, just be with us the remainder of this time. Help us to worship you fully. Help us to live for you and know that we have eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen.